Hello, and welcome to the Calvary Chapel Southeast podcast. Thanks for joining us for week two of a three-week series we've titled Beloved, as we learn about the unconditional love that God has for us. In response to his love, we are called to share his affection with the world around us. Grab your Bibles, and let's jump in. If you have your Bibles, open them to 1 John. We're going to continue in a little mini-series. Normally, we just teach verse by verse, chapter by chapter, through books of the Bible, and we love that. But just due to the um, uh, just unknownness of, of Pastor Doug's schedule and just the things that are going up in the air around here, we started last week looking at the unconditional, self-giving love that God has for us. And if you missed that message, just for the sake of context, we're going to go over it a little bit, but I feel free to go back to the website later this week and check it out. Um, but this morning, um, we're going to be looking at how we ought to respond to that love. Now that we've received that amazing agape love, how do we respond to that? And again, if you have your Bibles, open them to 1 John chapter 4, and if you would stand with me. We're going to be in two sections of 1 John this morning. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to look at just because of sake of continuity and just continuing the text from last week, but then also we're going to spend a bulk of our time in, in 1 John chapter 3, and you're going to see why in a little bit. But let's start, we're going to read both texts actually. 1 John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 18 actually, just again for the sake of context. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves punishment, and the one who fears is not perfected in love. We love because he first loved us. If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. And then just one page to your left in chapter 3, verse 11. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children... Let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. You may be seated. As we talked about last week, the Apostle John, let me find where the water bottle goes. Here we go. The Apostle John is writing this letter or sermon, perhaps, to some house churches in what we believe is the Ephesus area. And one of the main reasons he's writing them is to combat some horrible teachings and some bad practices that had infiltrated the church. People were being easily influenced by false teachers, and they were departing from the truth. And because these false teachers were having their way, many of the believers were left shaken. 
They were left confused. What do we believe? Like, how do we know we're really saved then? Or what does it look like to follow in the ways of Jesus? And so John writes this letter for a variety of reasons, but mainly to reassure them of their faith, to reassure them of the fundamentals of their faith in Jesus and his love for them. And last week, we looked at his amazing agape love, that unconditional, self-giving love which God has for each and every one of us. And what we found out is that this agape love is a divine love, and it flies in the face of the types of love that we see in our culture today, doesn't it? In our culture, most of our love has conditions. I will love you if you will love me, right? I will love you as long as you seek to please me and make me happy. But agape love, remember, is unconditional. It says, I love you when you're not lovable, I love you when it's not convenient. I love you even when it's not reciprocated. And again, last week, we talked about the difficulty it is to receive that kind of love, that God would so love us with this unconditional love. And we found out the very reason why God can love us, because we know we're undeserving. We know the truth about us, don't we? We're like, man, we don't deserve to be treated with this love that he's lavished upon us. But what we found out is that why he can do that is because God is love. His very nature and character is love. And John says God didn't just tell us with his words that he's loving, but he himself modeled his love for us. And then John used Jesus as the greatest of examples of love that God has for you when he says in verse 9 of chapter 4, by this the love of God was manifested in us, that God had sent his only begotten son into the world so that we might live through him. And in this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. That's the good news there this morning. So John says, this is how God made his love known to us, by sending his son, Jesus, to be the sacrifice, the atoning sacrifice for us. The apostle Paul would write, but God demonstrates his love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So again, God didn't send his son into the world to die for a word because they were so worthy and deserving. It wasn't our goodness It wasn't our righteousness that was the motivating factor that moved the heart of God. Paul says it was while we were yet sinners. It was the love of God that found us there and loved us because he is love. His very nature is love, and it's a work of grace, something that's unmerited, something we didn't deserve. And then John wrote in chapter 3 of this very book, in verse 1, see how great a love the Father has lavished on us. I love that word, lavished, that we would be called children of God, from enemies of God. Now, because the working of Jesus on the cross, we who believe in him are now his sons and daughters. Amen? We're his children. And so John says, do you want to know what true love is? He says, look at his love for us. Don't even look at and measure our love for him. Remember I said Christianity is the testimony of God's love for man, not man's love for God. 
Look at his amazing love that he has for you. Look at Jesus. And then John wrote, as we saw last week in verse 11 of chapter 4, Beloved, right? Dearly loved of the Lord. If God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, last week, if you remember, I told you I intentionally didn't uh, address this call to love on purpose. And, and, I, and last week, I just really felt impressed on my heart to emphasize just the amazing love in which God has for you and He has for me. And, that, and that's it, with no conditions. He's not, he doesn't love you for what he can get out of you or for what you can do for him. He simply just loves you. And all we have to do is just receive it and walk in it. That's it. But as this week unfolded and Tuesday came and we knew Pastor Doug wasn't flying home to pick up in Jude, um, it was clear, just not just to me, but to our pastoral staff as we were talking, like we really felt the leading of the Lord to like, let's develop this. Let's, let's take that love that we just learned about and, and what is this, how does this love respond now that we've received this? So let's do maybe a three-part thing on this. And so today we're looking at love for one another, love for the brethren, and then next week, uh, Pastor Kevin, I believe, or Pastor Nathan will, um, will be speaking on loving your enemies and how the love of God stirs our affection and, and stirs our motives to love our enemies. But the key word is respond. 1 John 4.11, again, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Do you see the response there? If God loves you, and he does, then we also ought to love one another. And because, and over and over again, throughout this book, John talks about loving one another with the same love we have received from Jesus. And this morning in our text, we're going to look at what it means to truly, again, love our brothers and sisters. Verse 20, if someone says, I love God, and hates his brother, he is a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Again, John is not the only one to talk about love in Scripture. I think of the Pharisees, they were always trying to catch Jesus, right? Let's try to catch him off guard, see if he can, you know, slip up or whatever. And one day they approached Jesus and they asked him this question in Matthew 22. He says, teacher, which is the great commandment of the law? And he said to them, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. And then he said, his second one is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and prophets. So again, the theme of loving God and loving one another is not a new concept to John here that he's introducing. It's all throughout the Bible. Jesus himself says that the Old Testament laws can be boiled down to just two laws. Love God, love others. And love is the primary theme of this book. And if you were, Pastor Nathan said that he did last week, if you were to sit down tomorrow morning with a cup of coffee and read just from start to finish the book of 1 John, you would see over and over again the call to love one another. And it's all in response. 
to the great love in which he has for you. And he says here again in verse 20, if someone says, this is a believer, this is the Christian, this is the church member, if someone in the church says, I love God, right? That's a good start. That's, that's one of the commandments. That's the first one that Jesus says to, 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 to adhere to. But hates his brother, he is a liar. Mic drop. I'm like, those are some strong words, are they not, from John? What John is saying is that it is impossible to actually love God fully, truly, but then in turn hate your brother or your sister. As I said last week, the evidence that we have truly received the love of God, experienced the love of God, is how we love others. That's the evidence. We don't, we don't love others so we can experience the love of God. We've experienced the love of God so we ought to love others. And if there isn't any evidence in our lives that we truly love one another, the question then is, are we really followers of Jesus? This is not my question this morning to you. This is not my word to you. This is God's word to you. Are we really following Jesus or are we pretending? That was the issue with the Pharisees. They did a good job pretending, playing the part, being the hypocrite, the stage actor. That's what hypocrite means. They were playing the part of the religion game. Their hearts were far from God. They were whitewashed tombs. They looked good on the outside, but inside was full of dead man's bones. Are we pretending are we, as John says here, are we lying? I think of Jesus' words to his disciples in John 13, 35. He says this, By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that word for love that Jesus uses there isn't phileo. It's not that brotherly love. It's not a friendship love, right? That would kind of make sense. Like, hey, you guys are my, my, my disciples. Um, just hang out together, be buddies together, and they're going to know that you're with me. No, he's not using phileo here. He says, by, he's, he's using agape. By this, all men will know that you are my disciples, my followers. How? If you have agape love towards one another. If you love one another without condition. Why? Because it flies in the face of his culture and ours. They're going to know that you're my, my disciples if you have love for one another, that, a love that gives without needing to receive. Jesus is saying, this is the evidence that the whole world will know that you're with me. You identify with me by this kind of love. You know, it's interesting that Jesus said, they're, they will know, they will, he didn't say, they will know you if you hold big, huge crusades and, you know, you, do, you emphasize healings and all of these things. Those things are great. But that's not how Jesus said that the world will know that we're his followers. He says, it's by your love for each other. That's how they'll know. And John, most likely having been there with Jesus, when Jesus shared those words, he's passing them on to the next set of believers. He says, guys, loving God is great. Keep loving God. Keep loving God. But if you hate your brother or sister, you need to reconsider if the love of God is even in you. He goes on to say at the end of verse 20, for the one who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. John is simply saying that it is more difficult to love someone you can't see. 
than it is to love someone you can see. And, and if you can't love someone that you can't see, like right in front of you, they're with you. They're in your presence. They're very, they're, they're, their presence is just tangible to you. You can love them easily. He says, then how can you reasonably claim to love God whom you cannot see? He says in verse 21, and this commandment we have from him, that the one who loves God should love his brother also. John says, listen, guys, we have a command to love one another, and this command is from God himself. This wasn't a suggestion. This wasn't just a, a simply a good word. May, hey, maybe you want to apply this on Sundays when you gather, but rather it was a command. It was a charge. These are our marching orders from God himself. Love one another. Let me ask you this morning, why do you think John had to write them so many times in this letter about loving one another? Why does he keep bringing it up? Is it because, simply because repetition is the greatest form of teaching and learning? Maybe. Or do you think he knows how big of an issue and struggle this is in the body of Christ? And this isn't a new issue. I guess uh, that can be good news for us this morning that we're not the only ones who might struggle with loving others, maybe some even in this room. But we're not the only ones who've struggled with this. The struggle to love sacrificially with a love that has no conditions is found in the very beginning of the Bible, is it not? So flip over one page to your left. First John chapter 3 will be in there the rest of this morning. John says in verse 11, For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. This is the message from the beginning. You've heard it from the beginning. This isn't something new. This isn't something from me, but the message is love one another. Again, John is saying this isn't even a message from him. Jesus over and over again told his disciples this very thing, a new commandment in John 13. He says, I give to you that you love one another even as I have loved you that you also should love one another. So again, this message isn't new. It's not from some untrusted source on the internet. It's not from, it's, but it's from the very heart of God himself. And in this section of his letter, John starts by defining and, and kind of just molding and shaping this picture of what love is, but, yet, but then he first starts with what love is not. And he pulls from a story from the beginning, the first family, he says in verse 12, not as Cain, <laughs> Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. So John is writing to this church and he says, guys, if we're truly going to follow the ways of Jesus, if we're going to be his disciples, apprentices, carry on the mission of Jesus, we, we need to love one another, and we do that, and he says this in verse 12, not by being like Cain. <laughs> now, if you remember the story in Genesis chapter 4 of Cain and his younger brother Abel, for those of you that have, are reading through maybe a one-year Bible plan, um, you probably just went over this last month. But in Genesis chapter 4, we see Cain and Abel. Cain was a farmer, a vegetable farmer. His brother Abel was a shepherd uh, raising sheep. And one day they decided together, for whatever reason, hey, let's go make an offering to the Lord. 
And scripture notes that when they did, that Abel took the firstborn of his flock, the very best that he had, and he offered it up to the Lord in gratitude. But the Bible doesn't make the same mention about Cain. It simply just says that Cain gave an offering. And what ends up happening is that God looks down on Abel's offering with favor and approval and acceptance, but not so for Cain's. And we're told in Hebrews chapter 11 that the reason why God accepted Abel's offering and not Cain's is because Abel's was given in faith, trusting in the Lord. That's why Hebrews tells us that without faith it is impossible to please God. Abel gave in sacrifice in a way that pleased the Lord, but Cain, again, did not. Now, we don't know exactly why and how he offered it, whether he was simply just bringing uh, the fruit offering because he didn't want to come empty-handed and look like the bad brother and be you know, kind of outdone by his brother Abel. Um, we don't know. It could have been that Cain was merely given his offering out of religious activity. Like, okay, this must be what we do. We impress God in this way. Again, we don't know exactly why Cain's offering was rejected, but here's what we do know. Here's what we do know, and that is that God always knows the heart and the motives when we offer something to him. He always knows the true heart and the true motives. And Cain responds, and he sees his brother's offering that was approved, right? God looks on it with favor, but his offering was rejected, and he just can't take it. And God tries to, you know, calm him down a little bit, but it causes Cain to lash out and murder his own brother. Why did he murder him? John says, because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. John is highlighting the external actions to reveal the internal motivations that Cain had. And instead of responding with humility and love toward his brother and even repentance towards God, Cain responds with jealousy and hatred and evil, and he kills his brother. That word for kill, or I think I said slay, is, is actually more literally interpreted slaughter. He slaughtered his brother. Someone once said, the most destructive force in the world is jealousy and envy. And we see that play out in the lives of these two brothers. J. Vernon McGee said this, envy and jealousy among believers in the church hurt the cause of Christ today probably more than anything else. It is the old secret sin that many believers cover up. And isn't that true? How many people, maybe, maybe you're included in this, and I've gone through my fair share of seasons, but how many people are ripped off in life and in ministry because of jealousy and envy? That should have been me up there leading worship. Not me, Josh, I love you. <laughs> you don't want to hear me lead worship. That position really should have gone to me. I'm the more qualified one. Why do they get all the recognition? I'm pulling, you know, a fair share of my weight, you know, with them and all of this. And what happens is that envy and jealousy, they, it gets in there and then it breeds bitterness over time. 
And that bitterness takes root, and then oftentimes external actions follow, and it's a sad thing that many people get ripped off. Instead of rejoicing at other successes, we pout. Instead of praising someone's promotions, we seek revenge. And John goes on to say in verse 13, do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. Jesus again, said these exact same words. But I want to say this this morning. When it comes to love and our response to those around us, listen to this, agape love is not a response to someone else's love toward you. So because of that, let me say this. We don't offer this agape love because the world loves us nor do we withhold it when the world hates us, okay? Let me say that again. We don't offer this love because the world loves us, nor do we withhold it when the world hates us. And we're gonna talk about, again, that next week. Verse 14, we know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Again, John is using love for the brethren as the litmus test for salvation. He's saying, do you want have, to have just confident assurance? Are you still confused that you're truly saved, that you're truly you know, identifying with Jesus and, and a follower of Jesus, that you've passed from death into life? He says this, it's by your love once again for the brethren. And the question for us this morning is, do you and I have genuine love, care, concern for the brothers and sisters, for the church? You see, there are those, and maybe some here today, who don't seem to have a love, care, or concern for the church. And it's sad. They're playing a part. They're missing the heart of God but you and I are called to have that care, love, and concern for the church. And I don't mean the organization necessarily. I mean each other. Look at verse 15. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. I think no doubt John is thinking about the greatest sermon that was ever given Jesus, by Jesus himself, the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, when Jesus said this, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. And then he just turns up the heat, remember? He says this in verse 22, but I tell you, this is, this is Jesus, that anyone who is angry with a brother or has hatred in his heart towards a brother or a sister will be subject to the same judgment. Jesus there is pointing out so clearly that there are not only crimes of the hands, but there's crimes of the heart. You see, nobody just wakes up one day um, and just the, the, the light switch flips on like, I'm going to do someone harm today. No, 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 no. This starts over time. It begins in the heart. Kenneth Barker said this, in the heart, there is no difference. To hate is to despise, to cut off from relationship, and murder is simply the fulfillment of that attitude. It was already there. They just acted upon it. And then John gives us, once again, the, the beautiful standard. And I think this is intentional on why he keeps bringing us back to the model of Jesus, because we need some fuel to get us there, to love others. Look at verse 16. We know love by this, 
that he laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Again, Jesus is the model. Jesus is the example. How are we to love? We are to model the same love that Jesus has for us in laying down his life for us. And John says, because of that, we ought to, in return, lay our lives down for the brethren. Now, it's important to remember that the word love that John is using here in the Greek, again, is not eros, it's not a romantic love. It's not storge, it's not a, a, you know, a, a parental love for the family or for a mom with her child. It's not, it's not phileo, it's not friendship love, not brotherly love. Because those loves, don't, they, don't, they don't trigger sacrifice. They're not unconditional. But he's once again using agape, which is the self-giving love. He's saying, we ought to lay our lives down for the brethren. This is a love that gives but doesn't demand or even expect repayment. It's a love that continues to love even when it's rejected. And it's this love that Jesus loves us with, a love that goes beyond just words but bleeds into action. And John says, Jesus laid down his life for you, and so you ought to lay down your lives for each other. The beautiful thing is, listen to this, is when you and I have a hard time even conceptually imagining laying down our lives for Kennard or for Ryan, <laughs> sorry, Listen to this. The God of the universe steps in, comes down off his throne, shows us the model, and he lays down his life for us. And when we are hesitant, even as followers of Jesus, to lay our lives down, to sacrifice our own good for the good of someone else, Jesus comes down from heaven and lays down his life for us while we were yet his enemies. And so John here, he's given us these two examples. You have the way of the evil one, Cain, and you have the way of Jesus. You know, where Cain took life, Jesus gave life. And John says we're, we ought to give our lives as well. Again, let me say this. Let me ask you, does this type of love fly in the face of our society or what? Our culture teaches today to love ourselves first, to look out for you, right? To put your needs above everyone else's needs. You know, the power of no, we kind of joke about it in the office. It's a big thing right now, saying no to others so that you have more time to say yes to yourself. But listen, in the kingdom of God, it is not so. In the kingdom of heaven, Jesus calls us to love without conditions, to fully give of ourselves, to sacrifice our own well-beings for the sake of the other. Why? Because he did it for you and I. Our culture today says, live fully for yourself. You know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die. You know what the Apostle Paul says? I die daily. Right? I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The world today, our culture today says, love yourself, put yourself first. Listen to another podcast on, on, on self-care. You know what Jesus says? If anyone wants to follow me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and then come after me. Deny himself. Does that not fly in the face of our culture today? 
Because we realize in the kingdom of God, when we truly lay down our lives, that's when we find life. When we, and that's where we identify with Jesus and his example for us. And now John gives us some practical examples on this type of love and how it ought to look and not look like. Look at verse 17. He says this, he gets very practical. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? What John is saying is that if you have the means to meet your brother's need and your sister's need in the body of Christ and you do nothing to help them, then how can you truly say that you love them? Very practical. You know, I think of James where he would write very similarly in James 2. It says, if a brother or sister is without clothing and in need of daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and be filled, and yet you do not give them what is necessary for their body, what use is that? You know, it's as if someone were to come up to me after the service today and says, Ryan, I have a, a real big need. I, need. I need gas money. I need $50 to get down over to Idaho to see my mom. She's dying. And if I know at that moment that I have a $50 bill in my pocket, which I don't, by the way, so don't ask. (laughs) But if I know that, you know, that the Lord has blessed us to be a blessing, right? So say he's blessed me to have a $50 bill in my pocket, and I know it's not yet going to be used for bills and stuff, you know, something like that. And I hear this request, and I said, you know what? Let me pray for you, brother. Let me just pray for God's provision in your life, you know? And then I just kind of send him on his way. What good is that? What good is that if I just offered to pray for him? James and John are saying the both thing. Saying the both. They're saying the both thing. Anyways. (laughs) They're saying the same thing, both of them. (laughs) What good is it? I need to drink some water. (laughs) You guys really should have come to the 11 o'clock. I'm sorry. (laughs) Someone said this. One of the most tragic things in the world will be when many believers come into the presence of Christ, having had this world's goods down here and not having used them for the cause of Christ. And as Americans, we have to be very, very careful of this because we have been given so, so much. And I don't know for you, but it was for me. The American dream has been taught to us from a very young age. And if you and I are not careful, our lives will, will revolve around simply just grasping and attaining that, the American dream, and that's it. Not that there's necessarily any evil in that, but if that's all that we're grasping and aiming at, we will miss out on the very heart of God in loving one another in which he's commanded us to love. And so John says in verse 18, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. You see, it is very easy to love with our words. Words are cheap, right? They don't cost us much. But John is telling us here that we ought to go beyond just words and love with action. Because self-sacrificial love for the well-being of others isn't just in word, it's in deed. 
And we do this not for what we can get in return. You know, this reminds me of the book of Acts, the early church in Acts chapter 2. If you, know, if you know the story, beautiful revivals taking place. The Holy Spirit has been poured out upon the believers. And Peter, we know in Pentecost, he gives this amazing sermon. And in, in one day alone, in one sermon alone, 3,000 people give their lives to follow Jesus. And it was amazing. And it's in that section that we know the famous Acts 2.42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer, right? A beautiful thing happening. But then it says after Acts 2.42, in Acts 2.43, it says this. And all those who had believed were together and had all things in common, And they began selling their property and possessions and were sharing them with all as anyone might have need. Day by day, continuing with one mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. And they were taking their meals together with gladness and sincerity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord was adding to their number day by day those who were being saved. What a picture of this kind of love, self-giving love, people giving towards the needs of others without any concern of getting a return. As Pastor Doug has said many times when going over that passage, and I wanted to make note of it myself, is that this wasn't socialism here, okay? This was love on full display. This wasn't socialism in the sense where one person has a need one, and the other person has a resource and so that person must give to, to meet that person's need, right? No, 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 no. This was love, genuine love in their hearts and because love was the motivating factor, they had no option but to give because they know they've received so much. And you know what it says? It says, and the Lord was just adding to their number daily. Why? Because the world will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Evangelism, don't tell me evangelism cannot start by us loving one another better. Let me read verse 18 again. It says, little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and in truth. Maybe you've heard it said this way, actions speak louder than words. (laughs) You and I are called to love one another. We are a family, whether you like it or not, sorry. (laughs) And some members of the family, they can be hard to love. I'm sure you have actually biological siblings, right, or a parent. Maybe they're just hard to love at times. But we're called to love each other willing to lay down our lives for one another. Galatians chapter 6 says this, Paul, so then while we have opportunity, let us do good to all people and especially to those who are of the household of faith. Paul says let us do good to them. And loving them isn't just restraining yourself from doing evil to them. Right, good job, you didn't, you know, harm them but it involves actively seeking to do them good, going out of your way to do them good. I think of Isaiah chapter one. It it says this, wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil. But it doesn't just end there. He says, learn to do good. Seek justice, reprove the ruthless, defend the orphan, plead for the widow. But I love that he says, learn to do good. 
You might, you might stop yourself from rolling your eyes, you know, at someone in the lobby when they approach you about something. You're like, you might just restrain yourself from that, right? And just kind of fake the smile. But let me ask you this morning, do you actively go out of your way to befriend that person? To show love and hospitality to that person? To start the conversation with them? But again, love has to be the motivating factor because you and I, we can do a lot of good things in this world. We can do a lot of good things even in the church, but if love doesn't drive us, then we've missed it all. Now, we are short on time, and I'm like, whoo, what am I going to cut? Let me just be honest with you this morning, just from a personal story of mine. I'll make it quick. If you haven't figured it out yet, I have a type A personality. And you're like, I don't know what that means. That means because you're not type A. Okay, I can tell, that, tell you that. <laughs> it just means I'm a perfectionist. Not that I'm perfect, but I, I, I love perfection in all the ways of life, right? I hate wasted time. I value and I love efficiency of being effective. Um, I, because of that, I can be a bit aggressive when it comes to taking on new projects with new vision. And uh, one of my biggest love languages is organization. Any, anyone else love organization? Okay, only about five of you. Gosh. But when I was younger, much younger than I am now, um, I had so much ambition and drive and vision on how life should be. I was very idealistic. And I decided probably 12, 13, 14 years ago to do a pastoral internship at this very church. And my idealism came with me. My love for change and keeping things fresh came with me as well. And I had ideas and visions on how things can be done smoother and faster and better and more efficient. So what did I do? I implemented them, baby. I did. No. <laughs> I mean, yes. But here's what happened. I ended up loving my process and my projects more than I loved the people that I was serving with or called to serve. And I ended up running over people in the process of that. And I hurt people. And what I hurt them with wasn't with my ideas, necessarily. It wasn't because I had a bad idea. It wasn't because, um, you know, I wanted to implement something horrible in the church. The vision wasn't bad. It was very good. But what hurt them was I loved it more than I loved them. Oh, I said I loved them. I might have even convinced myself that I truly did love them, but I only loved them with my words because my actions and deeds showed otherwise. And instead of being slow and gracious and humble, I was domineering and determined and direct. And I'm not sharing with you something that's probably never been shared publicly, but one of, one of my dear, sweet, former staff members here, Carol, love Carol. We miss Carol. She lives in, up in Washington now. She retired uh, last year. Um, when I was interning here, I hurt her so badly. And she shared that with the church, so I'm not like, you know, sharing something private. And it grieves my heart to this day. Again, it wasn't because of my plans, but because I didn't have love and care and concern for her in my heart. So that's what John is saying. Let's go beyond just mere words, but are our actions lining up with the words that we say? That's why Paul would say in the love chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 13, he says, if I can speak with tongues of men and, and of angels but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. 
And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. Paul is saying there is no point to your good deeds if it isn't motivated by love, and, and actually it can do harm than good. So let me ask you this morning, as we close, how are you doing at loving one another? With this agape love, this unconditional love, this self-giving love, do you find yourself willing to give for the sake of someone else's good, even when they don't deserve it? You know, I knew a, a, a young guy in the church, and for the life of me, I can't remember who, so if I'm using you as an example today, I'm sorry, but um, he always told me that he, he never wanted to um, buy a pickup truck because he never wanted people to ask him to help move. Because I guess if you have a pickup truck, people are going to ask you to help. Now, I fully, I say that, I fully understand the balance that we have to have between ministry and just caring for our, you know, our families and all of that, right? I'm not saying you need to be on 24-7. But what does that say about our hearts? What is motivating our hearts? Do you find yourself cringing every time Pastor Kevin gets up here and, and invites you to serve Jesus by serving his church? Oh, but I love my weekends free of obligation. Do you find yourself fighting for what you know or think is right at the expense of a relationship with your brother or sister? Maybe the call this morning for you is to lay down your pride. And that's how you'll show love. Maybe the call this morning is to remember Paul's words in Philippians 2, to not only merely look out for your own personal interests, but for the interests of others. You know, having that same mind that Jesus Christ himself had. And the beautiful thing this morning is that I can look out at a lot of you that I know and I can see this type of love that you have for one another and it's beautiful. As one of your pastors, I say, man, you bless me. Because in the last two years, there's been a lot of needs that have come up, you know, with, in this pandemic and stuff. Big, sometimes big needs. And we find out about them as a pastors and then the next hour comes by or the next day comes by and then we hear that the need has been met by one of you. No one had to force you. No one had to make the call and say, can you meet this need? Your love for one another was, is a, has been amazing. So keep on loving sacrificially. I have grave concern, and I'm just going to be honest, for my generation. Pray for us. Pray for, for us. And the reason I can say that is because I know me. We have a generation whether you're in, today, you're in your teens, 20s, 30s, we know a lot about receiving and taking, but not a lot about sacrificial giving. There is a selfishness. Listen, if I can just be honest, there's a selfishness that I see in our younger generation today. There's a culture that is all about what can I get more than what can I give, and it so desperately needs to be changed. And why does it need to be changed? Just so we can have better relationships? Well, yeah. But, but for this reason, all men will know that you are my disciples, that you are my followers, Jesus says, if you have love for one another. What is the world seeing when they look at us? Are they seeing Jesus in us? Listen, the enemy would love to see our church hating on one another, wouldn't they? If he can get us to hate on one another, he's done his job. And even for us today, I just want to say this. 
as a local body, Calvary Chapel Southeast, getting ready to go through a transition, a season of transition, I pray that our love for one another would grow all the more because there's nothing else that the enemy would love to see is for hatred and envy and jealousy and strife to get into relationships and divide the body of Christ. I pray that we would learn to do good and to love each other more. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's study. If you're ever in the Portland area, we would love to have you visit us for one of our services. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at ccseportland.com. We hope you'll join us next week as we continue in our study together.